You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. We are going to talk about what we started last Wednesday, talking about the idol of culture. The idol of culture, the idol of image, all those things that are culturally relevant now and the direction that the enemy wants to take us to get us away from the things of God and the purposes of God and uh, get us off track to confuse, to, to uh, cause confusion not only of, on our identity, but to cause confusion at our, for, about our purpose. If he can confuse your identity, then he can confuse your purpose. If he can't confuse your identity and you know who you are in Christ, he can't confuse your purpose. And God doesn't give us leadership for power. He gives us leadership for purpose. We lead and we get authority. God gives us authority, leadership positions, so that we have, because there's a purpose behind that, and that's to serve God and to serve people. And that's the reason that God does it. That's the reason he wants to elevate. That's the reason he wants to promote. He's got a purpose. Jesus said, you don't rule like the people of the world do. They, they want to be in authority because they want power and they want everybody to serve them. He said, you're going to be different. He said, the, the greatest among you will be the greatest servant. He said, you're going to serve with a, with a higher purpose than self. And that's why this culture wants everybody to worship self. That's why we have, and I, I'm not saying that if you participate in this, you do that, but that's why Snapchat is so huge and all these other things where you take constant pictures of yourself. I'm not going to do the pose I did a few weeks ago, but no, I'm not going to do it. No, I, I saw that and I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, no wonder they laughed. That was... Ridiculous. That's what it was. Hey, um, also, I want to say this as we get started. I want to welcome everybody online as well as everybody here tonight. But I want to say this. You know, uh, some of you know, some of you don't know. Most people don't even care. But I'm going to mention it. They, someone put an ad in the paper about me on Sunday. And I just want to say this about that ad. Number one, I care about the people, even though they didn't have the courage to put their name on it. Um, if I put something in there, I promise you my name will be on it. Um, but uh, number two, I don't care what they think. Don't care what they think. We, we can never let unbelievers define what Christianity is supposed to be like. And, and even people, I, I, some Christians in town say, well, we need to stay out of politics and pastors shouldn't do this and pastors shouldn't do that. None of them were pastors. I, you know, I just, I just want to say this. They're not going to define what I do as a pastor. I'm the one accountable to God, not them. Matter of fact, I'm doubly accountable. So that's, the Bible says they shouldn't even be commenting on that. If they got a comment, they should take it to God in prayer. But we know that some people are going to hide. They're going to hide behind the pulpit. They're going to hide behind their church's pulpit. And they're going to hide behind and say, they're going to actually try to use their Christianity in order to say, I'm not supposed to say anything. No, guys, that's, we don't hide behind anything at Church on the Move. We're, we're, going to, we're going to speak the word of God in, in love and truth. And we're going to love people enough uh, just like someone loved us enough to warn us, to tell us what was sin, what is right in God's eyes, what is wrong in God's eyes. Only people who love each other speak to each other like that. Amen. Only people that really love speak the truth. And it's not my truth. It's not your truth. It's not Church on the Move's truth. It's God's truth. Amen. Amen. And so I encourage anybody that, that uh, uh, all of you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I've read it in church. Read Romans chapter 1. And that you'll always have a response. God says, I want you to always have a response. He said, I want you to be ready in season and out of season to give a response, to give a testimony, to, to defend and talk about why you believe Jesus Christ is the Lord. And so always be prepared to respond to this culture. We've talked about the giant Goliath that has called us out. Uh, the Goliath that's called us out right now is sexual sin, sexual identity. All these things have called us out. And if he can kill your Christianity off or silence you, then you will end up serving him. Because that's exactly what Goliath said to David. 
And that, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do what David did. We're going to fight back with the word of God. And we're going to let God defend us. And, uh, and God will. He always has. And so um, go with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to talk about um, how, one of the ways in which we have to equip ourselves um, in order to uh, deal with the current idol worship of this culture. Uh, Romans 12 verse 2 says, stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you. It says stop. And the Passion Version says stop. Stop imitating the ideas and opinions. Stop. Church, stop. Please stop. We're not going to imitate their ideas, their opinions. That we're not called to do that. I said we're not called to do that. And we need to stop. And we need to teach our children to stop. He said, stop that. He said, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. A total reformation, complete reformation of how you think. And he said this, this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. It might not be satisfying and perfect in other people's eyes, but it will be in his. And if your heart's to please him, then you'll please him. But we have to renew our thinking. We have to change the way we think. And if you're not actively doing this, you're going to be in trouble because Satan is actively trying to impose this culture's opinions and ideas on us it's constant. You can't get away from it. You can't watch a commercial without, that cult, without the culture trying to tell you, this is beautiful, this is okay, this is right. And it's always homosexuality. It's always constant. It's, it's in our face. It's in our schools. They want to teach our five-year-olds. They want to teach our six-year-olds. You know why they want to teach gender at that age? Because Satan knows that if he can confuse them, what I said earlier, if he can confuse their identity, then he can confuse their purpose. What did he say to Jesus when he tempted him? If you are the son of God. Listen, he's always was questioning his identity to get him to lose his purpose so that he would commit a sin. And that's why they're going after our children's identity so that they can confuse their identity, so it confuses their purpose, so they end up in sin instead of fulfilling the, the great and special purpose that God has for each one of them. That's why we're talking about drawing the line. We have to draw a line somewhere. And the line we draw is, hey, this is, this is the blood this is the blood of Jesus. It drew a line in the sand and said, either serve God through Jesus, or you're not going to make it to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he didn't stop there. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He drew a line in the sand. And that's why they wanted to crucify him, because he drew that line. And we have to, if you, if you want to serve God, you got to step over and say, hey, if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate me. Jesus warned us not to be a friend of this world. And what he's talking about is the world's culture that is run by little G-O-D, the Bible says, and that's Satan. We can't, we can't be a friend of this culture. We can be a friend of people. We can love people. We can care for people. But we're not supposed to be a friend of the culture. We're not, the Bible's saying right here, we're not supposed to think about, like them or have the, carry their opinions. The Bible, the Bible constantly warns us not to follow the counsel of the wicked. It's always amazing to me. My brother and I were talking about this the other night. How unbelievers, and another pastor friend of mine tonight, uh, how unbelievers already always want to tell the church how to believe and act. Don't follow the counsel of the wicked. They don't know anything about God, nor his word. It's not that we don't love them. Don't care for him because I was one of them. But I didn't know anything. Some of you in the same boat I was. I didn't know anything. And so, you know, I had a bunch of opinions about, and I didn't, I didn't know what I was talking about. And so I'm glad the church didn't listen to me. I didn't know I have a clue. 
And so never let the wicked define you. Never let this culture define your identity. And don't let them do it to our children. Don't let them do it to your children. We have to draw a line. Thank God parents everywhere are drawing these lines. When we receive Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit enters our spirit and changes and translates us. He changes, translates us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Changes our very nature. Changes the very nature uh, on the inside of us. To the deepest part of us. From one that wants to sin and practice sin. That want, to one that does not want to practice sin. In 1 Corinthians 6, when it talks about and lists all the sins and adultery, sexual morality, homosexuality, greed, fraud, all this violence, all these things, he said, we were once like that, but we're not like that anymore because of the power of the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God that lives in us. But we need to get our minds in agreement with our spirits so that we are equipped Mentally, spiritually, God's equipped us. Now, we have to play a role. We have to play a role in equipping our minds. What is our mind? Our, our will, our intellect, and our emotions. We have to equip our mind with the all-powerful living word of God. The Bible says, have the mind of Christ. How do you have the mind, an anointed, the word Christ means anointed one. How do you have an anointed mind? Is you fill it with this word. Because this word is anointed. It is anointed. And so in order to do that, there's three things that we must do in order to renew our minds. Number one, you have to read it. You have to read the word. And sometimes you read it, and then other times you need to take some time to study it. There's a difference between reading and studying. A lot of people read their word daily. But every once in a while, God wants you to take some time to actually study the word. That means not just to read it over, but actually look at it and say, okay, I'm going to take this, this chapter, this, this verse, and I'm going to really look it up. I'm going I'm to study it out. I'm going to look 20 scriptures above it, 20 scriptures below it, below it and I'm going I'm to figure out the context and what this was spoken, what every word means in the Greek and Hebrew. And you don't even have to speak Greek and Hebrew. You can just Google it. Google speaks Hebrew and Greek. Which is cool. I mean, you can research all of this at the touch of a button. You can get that information that would take me sometimes hours looking through books. We can get it in about five, ten minutes, all of what I just said. So we need to read it. We need to study it. If you're not reading nor studying, you, you cannot even, you're not even at the starting gate of renewing your mind to start to think the way your spirit already thinks. It's so vital that our spirit and our mind get in agreement why? Because we're a three-part being made in the image of God. God is God the Father, God the Son, and, and God, God the Holy Spirit. Three but one. We're, we have a body, we have a spirit, and we have a mind. We're three in one. But each one has a different voice. Each one has a different voice in a different pool. And so uh, our flesh, this stuff right here, this mortal stuff, it, it's never going to line up completely with the word until, until you receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And then you remain, renew your mind with the word. And what's going to happen is your spirit and your mind are going to outvote your flesh and make your flesh do what you want it to do. Or not do what it shouldn't be doing. But it's going to take that and it's going to take, it's going to take really digging in and renewing our minds to stand up to this current culture and the direction that our nation's going, the direction people are going. I never thought in my wildest dreams as a pastor that standing up to sexual sin would get a, a paid ad in the paper calling me evil. But it's happened. And guys, I'm, I'm okay. I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit for the chance to tell people that are struggling with, with sexual sin that you don't have to stay that way. I, we got a church full of people that have been set free. Jesus will not only set you free, but he'll teach you what sex is meant for and the purpose of it in marriage, and it'll be more beautiful, more exciting, and more powerful than it's ever been if you do it right. <laughs> We find our identity in him, and we find our identity through his word that tells us who we are. 
I think it's really interesting in this current culture that uh, they're trying to teach, as I said earlier, five-year-olds uh, about gender identity. But let me, let me rephrase. That, that's not the right word. It's gender confusion. And Satan's the author of that confusion. But yet they're saying now that 19 and 20-year-olds that signed for student loans were too young to, to understand what they were doing, so we need to pay off all their debt. Listen, speaking from someone that had student loans that had, I had, and I paid every dime of them off, it was good for me to pay those off. I took the debt, I paid it back. That's what you should learn. But if a 19 and 20 and 22, 23-year-old, if, if 30-year-olds who take on debt don't understand what they're doing, how in the world is a 9-year-old going to decide to remove its body parts, to change genders? You see the hypocrisy of the whole thinking process. This, this group's not responsible for a debt they incurred at 19, but a five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old can make a decision about that. Satan always wants to confuse our identity. Now he's trying to confuse Christians and saying, you can be a Christian and be an adulterer and just love adultery. You can be a Christian and be a fornicator and sleep around and you're a Christian. You can be a Christian and just, you know, love alcohol, love drugs and love this and love that. And you can be a Christian and be a homosexual. He's trying to confuse the whole identity of Christianity. The Bible says if you continue to practice those things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you are truly accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you might still be, still be doing some of those things, but man, there's a fight taking place. I know. I had no fight taking place in me until I accepted Jesus and went to my first party. After I accepted Jesus, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I keep hearing this voice saying, what are you doing here? I'm like, I know what I'm doing here. I'm not here to party. And that voice kid said, no, you're not. You're not. That's not you anymore. Listen, I know, and anybody else that's ever been, received Jesus Christ as Lord, been born again, you know if you try to go back to what you did, there, there's a battle taking place inside of you. So you just can't stay there. You're going to start overcoming and moving forward, and you're going to have a heart to do it. So no one's going to say, hey, I can continue to practice this stuff and, and not only practice it, but relish in it and try to tell everybody else it's beautiful and it's awesome and it's right and be a Christian. Satan's trying to confuse what a Christian is. Why? Because he wants us to question our identity. Let me be very clear. A Christian is one that has accepted Jesus as the Lord of their life. He is already Lord. But now they've recognized he's the Lord of their life. And the Holy Spirit has, has dwells within them, caused them to be their very nature to change. And, and they love God's word. They believe that God and God alone determines right and wrong, good and evil. And that's it. That's it. God, God's opinions trump all other opinions. Anything in opposition to God's word is a lie. That's what Christians believe. Christians aren't self-righteous. I'm not saying these things out of self-righteousness. We've all sinned and fallen short. Christians are loving, but they're also truth-tellers. They're not cowards, nor fearful or hateful. Someone say amen. amen. But we're not chickens. Amen. And we're not wimps. And we're not sissies. And we stand up and are counted. And right now, our children need us more now than ever. Our young people need us more now than ever. I'm going to read to you again Psalms 37. Psalms 37, verse 1 and 2, um, that we read last week, and then we're going to move on to some other things. Psalms 37, verse 1 and 2 says this, Don't follow after the wicked ones or be jealous of their wealth. We're not to follow them. How many times has God has to warn us? Don't have their ideas. Don't have their opinions. Don't follow. Don't follow their counsel. Don't follow their ways. He said, don't think for a moment they're better off than you. They and their short-lived success will soon shrivel up and quickly fade away like 
grass clippings in the hot sun. Let me read, go ahead and read verse 3. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in His eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure feasting on His faithfulness. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on the Word of God and do what is right in God's eyes and trust God that when it all settles, we'll be standing on the mountaintop. When the dust settles, we'll be standing on the mountaintop. And we don't need to be troubled. What does troubled mean? Fearful, worried, anxious. I'm none of those things. I'm none of those things. I'm, I'm not. I do not care what evil says or thinks. I only care what God th- says and thinks. That's how you need to be. We all need to be there. Um, I'm about to go to two more examples that we looked at Daniel um, when he first and the three, the, uh, four, the three other children of Israel that went to uh, Babylon, we looked at them. But before we do, look at, look at review that one and go over two more. Uh, I want to say a couple things to you. Uh, we're supposed to let our light shine right now. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, it says, let your light shine before men. We're supposed to let our light shine. Not put it out. Not act like, it. oh, man, don't pay attention to me. No, we're supposed to let our light shine. And I want to say this to you. You don't have to change the whole world to shine. Just change, allow God to change you and the people around you, and you can shine. We don't have to change everybody in every situation. And I want to say this also to you. Uh, circumstances don't always have to be perfect for you to shine. I'm just giving you some thoughts. Circumstances don't always have to be perfect for you to shine. As a matter of fact, God does some of his best shining when the circumstances aren't good. You know when our church always grows is when the church is persecuted. The body of Christ always grows under persecution. It's just like God. Every time the devil attacks the body of Christ, it grows. Every time he thinks he's winning, he's losing. Because God always wins. And circumstances are not always going to be perfect. To do the right thing, the circumstances aren't always going to be perfect. We're just going to have to do it anyway. Most people think their life will be over if they they don't cave. And sometimes it does look like Satan's winning. But once again, he's never winning. What he meant for evil, God will turn around for good. For those... For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That you love God and understand that that I'm called to God's purpose for my life. And that's, that's the first thing I'm called to. God's purpose. God's purpose. When you love God, you know your identity. And when you know your identity in Christ, then you know your purpose. And you understand your purpose is bigger than the circumstances. Your purpose is bigger than the persecution. Your purpose is bigger than all the evil on the planet. Because it's God's purpose for you. Daniel chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. We looked at this. We know that Daniel said, hey, man, I'm not going to eat your food. Please give me 10 days of testing. He handled things. Daniel was first class. He went right to his supervisor, handled things uh, properly, went to, through the proper channels. He was very respectful. He'd already made up his mind. He wasn't going to do it anyway. But he's like, I'm still going to be respectful, and I'm going to handle this right. And so we know at the end of that, he did not participate in the culture. He did not bow to the culture of the Babylonians. He took a stand. He drew a line. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better. How did they appear? Better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Otherwise, those guys, it just looks like it says king's delicacies. The world and its culture looks, looks delicious. Sin always looks pleasurable. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. It always looks like the right thing to do, the culturally right thing to do, and it can look delicious. But what God is saying here, if you'll stick with me, you'll be 10 times better off than all the rest of them. Your outcome is different when you draw a line. 
He said, and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. You'll be, you'll appear better. You'll be, your everything about you will be fatter in a good way. In a good way, praise God. If we don't eat a portion of this culture's delicacies, what it's offering us. Next verse. Verse 16. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Next verse. As for these four young men, God, who gave them? God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. When we draw a line and we say, we're not going to participate, this looks great, it's, it's the world's best, it's the world's best thoughts, it's the world's best opinions. If I go along with this, a lot of people will like me, love me, think I'm culturally cool. Won't say I'm old-fashioned. I'll get to go to all the parties and all the right places. All the right people will like me and, and think I'm intellectually enlightened. When we don't yield to that and we stick with God and his word and do what's right, Daniel stuck with the word of God. He did what God had told him to do and what he told him not to do. And look what God did. Every time we draw the line, God moves supernaturally. I said this last Wednesday, I'm going to say it again. Sometimes you're waiting for God to do something to deliver you out of a circumstance or situation, and really, God's waiting for you to draw a line, and then he'll deliver. I always think about, where's Jesus in all of this? Well, Jesus is in, every time they get delivered, it's Jesus, because Jesus is the deliverer. He's the focus of the Old Testament in the New. Now, we're going to look at another circumstance. Go with me to Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Another situation in which the culture tries to dominate. It says this, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an, uh, an excellent spirit was in him. In him. That's the Holy Spirit. What, what kind of spirit did he have? You know, when we go out to the world, we, we do a huge disservice when we don't have an excellent spirit about us at work. <coughs> Excuse me. I remember when I worked for a secular company. I've told this story before. And I was ministering to some of the people at work. And the leadership really, man, they wanted nothing to do with God. They were, they were devoid of God. And so they were used to everybody talking to, on, on Monday about the parties and how drunk they got. And they were all partiers. And they had those conversations. Well, you know, there was a couple Christian guys that worked there. But, man, they never mingled. They always were they're gone. They got out of there as quick as they could. And I show up, and I, I start making friends with every, you know, all the people in the office, even the lost people, because I was one of them. I understood where they were coming from. And so now the conversation's starting to change, and these other guys that were Christians start joining in. And now all of a sudden, on Monday, we're talking about what God's doing. Well, they didn't like it. They didn't like it. So they had a meeting and said, hey, uh, just want to say something to you. Um, hey, we need to stop a lot of this God talk and da-da-da-da-da. You know, and I, I just stood up and said, hey. Or I raised my hand. I said, excuse me. Uh, uh, called him appropriately, Mr. So-and-so. Uh, excuse me, are you talking about me? And they got a little shook because they thought they could just kind of do something real general and skip over it. They should have known better. They knew me. I said, you talking about me? And he said, well, yeah, we're kind of talking about you and maybe some other people. And, and I said, listen, uh, if you have something to say, have, have, is my work excellent? I just called. I said it right in front of everybody. If it's not, I want to know. And they said, no, this isn't a question about your work. You know that you're leading in all these categories. You're leading in this category. You're leading in that category. I said, is it about, so it's not the quality of my work. Is it the quantity of my work? Am I not a hard worker? And they, oh, no, Troy, we know you're a hard worker, and you work hard. You've done more here and done more here because everything, everything was counted. It was all on, I knew. I knew the answers to these questions. Any good lawyer knows the answer to the question before you ask it. So don't get in a discussion without it. And so I, I knew the answers. And this, so there's, I said, so what's the real issue? 
I said, man, I hear these guys talking about all day long about what they're doing, uh, uh, about what they did Friday and Saturday night. You guys are back there laughing and cutting up about it. But, you know, someone asked me about Jesus, and I said, you guys know I'm not carrying my Bible around this workplace, beating anybody over the head or standing up on a desk quoting scriptures. or I'm not doing anything stupid. I said, but if someone asked me about Jesus, I'm going to tell them. Just like when someone, you asked these guys what they did Friday, Friday night, and you live vicariously through these young guys, what they're, all their ex, sexual exploits and drunken exploits and all the crap they were doing. I said, you, you, you don't have any problem with that conversation. Then a couple of my Christian buddies stood up and said, hey, you got a problem with us too? And they said, well, you know what? This is what he said. He said, listen, okay, all right, uh, let's just end the meeting. All right, have a good day. Just walked out the door. Never said another word about it. You know why? Because when you have an excellent spirit about you and you're one of the best workers and the smartest workers and you're one of the hardest workers there, the world will recognize that in you. Even an unbeliever knows a hard worker. Even an unbeliever can look at numbers and say, these people produce. Daniel set that example. You should set that example everywhere you go. You should be known as a hard worker. You should be known to have an excellence about you. Everywhere you go, you should be known. Someone say amen. amen. That's the example. That's how we let our light shine to the world. So here's, here we go. Go ahead, next. And it says, and the king gave back thought to setting him over the whole realm. So these guys are like, man, he's so excellent, he's going to be the boss. What happens when you're excellent? How many times do we get promoted, Julie? We got promoted three times. I say we because without her support, it wouldn't happen. We got promoted three times in less than a year. You'll get promoted if you have a spirit of excellence. So next verse. So the governors and seratraps sought, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was nor was there any error or fault found in him. Otherwise, he wasn't cheating, he wasn't lying, he wasn't playing games. They couldn't find those things. He had, a, he had integrity. He had excellence. You gotta understand that, this is the, that he wasn't perfect, but by their standards, he is, because they were all liars and cheaters. And so like, man, this dude, he doesn't lie or cheat, and he's not playing all the games we're playing. They couldn't find an error in Daniel. That's, how, that's what people should think about us at work. Someone say amen. amen. That's exactly what they should think about us. Now let's go to verse 10, chapter, uh, let me see, where are we at? Yeah, chapter 6, verse 10. It says this, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home in his upper room and with his window open toward Jerusalem. What writing was signed? They said, they went to the king and said, hey, king, let's say this, that for the next 30 days, uh, everybody in your kingdom has to worship only you because in Babylon, they let you worship whatever God you want to. But he's like, hey, for the next 30 days, let's all worship you. And the king bought it and he, and he set that in place. And once he signed it, Daniel, he went home in his upper room and with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God and was his, as was his custom since his early days. In the book of Psalms, it says, pray to the Lord and worship him morning, noon, and night. And Daniel knew that Psalm and that's why he did that. And he wasn't gonna change anything. It wasn't coincidence his windows were open. Well, these guys see it. These guys see him do it and violate and violate the king's order. So we go to verse 20. We know that they reported to the king, and the king says, Daniel, I have no choice. I've already said it. I've already signed it. I'm going to have to put you in a lion's den. And I've said before, there wasn't just a few lions in here. Some of those lions did had up to 1,000 lions. Most of them had hundreds of lions. So they didn't drop him down. There was two or three, you know, scraggly looking lions down there. And they would feed them human flesh so that all they craved was human flesh. That's where Daniel was put. It wasn't an easy decision to stand up to the culture and honor God. 
I think a lot of times we want it to be easy. We just want it to be, God, make it easy. You know, guys, we're living in days. It's going to get harder and harder. And there's going to be more and more consequences for you standing up. He's putting a, he's putting a lion's den. Some of you think you've gone through tough times. Man, we haven't gone through any tough times. I mean, I'm not saying that we haven't lost loved ones or stuff like that, haven't battled sickness and disease. I'm talking about as Christians, none of us have been put in a lion's den. Not one of us have been lowered down with, can you imagine hundreds of lions roaring, wanting to eat your flesh, and they're lowering you down in that hole? It was a hole. So, lowered him down there. Then the king came and uh, he said, and when he came to the dead, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? The reason he had to shout is because he couldn't, that hole was deep and dark. He couldn't see him. It was, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Can you imagine being lowered in a lion's den with hundreds of hungry lions wanting your flesh and you can't even see where they're at? How your skin would crawl? Daniel said, I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna serve the Lord my God. These lions eat me, that's so be it, I'll go to heaven. When you know your identity, you understand your purpose. And when you know your identity and your purpose, you won't back down and take a false purpose. You won't begin to worship this idol of culture. And all these things they say we have to believe and we have to do and we have to say in order to satisfy the world. And they say, well, it hurts people's feelings. Guys, the, some of the greatest thing that's ever been told me, told to me from the Bible and from other people have been lo- has been truth and love that hurts, that hurts. But it's what God said. He said, I only discipline my children. The ones I Love. The ones you love, you tell the truth to, even if it hurts. When it's for their betterment. When it will save their life. We have to be able to receive that and give that and walk this life out serving God and not serving the culture of a false God. So he hollers down to him. Next verse. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. What does he do? He honors the king. He's like, king, I hope you live forever, king. He honors the king. That's who his boss. He's like, boss, I hope, you're, I hope you live forever, boss. Stay the boss forever. He's honoring him. Then he says this. My God sent his angels shut the lion's mouths. Lions, plural. Mouths, plural. So that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Next verse. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. His God. What God do you believe in? What God do you believe in? If you believe in your God, then you're going you're gonna to draw a line. Daniel drew a line in the sand and said, hey, man, I'm going to, you, you ask me to cross this line and worship anything else other than my God? Worship this culture? Worship your image? Worship whatever you want me to worship besides my God? That's a line in the sand. I will not do it. I'm a great employee. I'm a hard worker. I'm making you successful. What I'm supposed to be doing, I'm doing all the things I know that are right, but the one thing you can never have from me, you can never Ever have my heart. My heart belongs to God and God alone. Never have my heart. And when you ask me for it, I'll say no. You can't. This this company can't have my heart. This school system can't have my heart. This job can't have my heart. What if they fire me? Well, next Wednesday, we're going to talk about the three children of Israel that were literally fired. And what God did when they were fired. He was exceedingly glad. Found nothing wrong with him. Because he believed in his God. Next verse. 
And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of the lions. Them, their children, and their wives. You know, when I say things like, hey, if, you got, if we cross these lines, it will not just cost us. It will cost our wives, our children, and other people. We see generational curses and shared demonic spirits passed down from generation to generation. When men and leaders, women, make decisions, it has a ripple in the water. That's why when I say, I say, listen, you vote this way, you do this thing, it has ramifications. It costs not just these men, it cost them their wives and children were also fed to the lions. That's why God warns us. Don't, be, don't give in to this culture. Don't believe in this stuff. Don't cave into this. Draw the line. And it says, And the lion, lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. This is how ravenous they were. When they lowered them down before they even hit the ground, these lions were so hungry for human flesh, they, they ripped them apart before they ever hit the floor. That's what God saved Daniel from. Because when you draw a line, God will move. Just make sure you're drawing God's line, not your line. God's line. Based on God's word. Next verse. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Next verse. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. Man, this is what happens when we let our light shine. This is what happens when we draw the line. People see our God deliver. They see our God move. They see our God do supernatural things. And they see the results of their lives. And they say, oh my gosh, their God is alive. Now Nebuchadnezzar is praising and saying, this is the God. The one who wanted everybody to worship him. Is now acknowledging God Almighty. When we let our light shine, those that have any kind of heart will see and say, you know what? It's true. That is the only God right there. Their God is the only God. Next verse. And his dominion shall endure to the end. 27. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Every time he uses the word deliverer or delivered, he's talking about Jesus. Next verse. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What happened? Daniel prospered. Sometimes we get so caught up like, if I take this stand, if I don't cave in and do what they want me to do here, that violates my heart, my conscience, and the word of God, that I'll lose my job. I'll lose this. I'll lose that. I'll be fed to the lions, man. I'll lose everything. But guys, when you take a stand for God and you do it with a right heart, Daniel was still respectful. He was still honorable, but he took a stand. God moved supernaturally, not only delivered him, but delivered those who were against him to the lions and then promoted him, not only, not only in this reign, but another whole king that came. Daniel was still in favor and prospering through it all. What do we do during this time? We're going to prosper through it all. We're going to be promoted through it all. We're going to serve God through it all. We're going to do what's right through it all. We're going to honor God more than man or this culture or the idols of this culture. More than, more than We're going to honor God above all of that. And we're going to see God deliver. We're going to see God prosper. We're going to see God bless. We're going to see God multiply. He's going to just continue to bless his people no matter what the circumstances are. Listen, every eye closed, if you're online or here, just, that's just, I just ask you to do that. Uh, please to remove distractions from your life. You know, you're here for a reason. You're watching online for a reason, whether it's tonight or later this week, whenever. 
But you're watching for a reason. You're here for a reason. You're looking. And who you're looking for is the deliverer. You're looking for the supernatural God that changes hearts and lives, that restores things and does things that look impossible. He makes them possible. He's the one that saves. He's the one that loves us so much that he came and died for us on a cross. Died for our sins. Mine and yours. And he's the one that was raised from the dead and is alive because neither sin nor death can defeat our God. He's the one that wants to free you from the power and dominion that sin doesn't dominate your life anymore. That doing what's right dominates your life. He's the one that wants to deliver you from wounds, pain of your past, shame and guilt. He's the one that wants to teach you how to receive forgiveness and to forgive others and walk in freedom in this life. Freedom to live the life and for the purpose in which he created you. Freedom to walk in all his promises and his goodness. Freedom to walk in his deliverance and his protection. Freedom to walk with no fear of death. For we know that death just brings eternal life forever. We're celebrating Good Friday, the day he showed us the greatest good ever. And he died for our sins. And we're celebrating on Sunday the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He wants to resurrect lives in this room and online right now. It's not over till God says it's over. It's not finished till He says it's finished. If you'll serve Him. I said if you'll serve Him. If you'll give your life to Him. He won't make you. He's not like Satan. He's not a two-bit dictator. He's not a control freak. He doesn't want to possess you and use you and control you. He wants to live with you. He wants to lead you if you want to follow. He gives you freedom to choose. He already said, I love you. It's your turn to respond. And if you're here tonight and you've never prayed, you've never asked God to forgive you for sin, you never received Jesus as the Lord of your life, you've never had the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of you that changes your nature, You've never had a knowing that when I die, I'm going to heaven, not to hell. You've never, oh, you've never experienced any of those things. If that's you and you want to experience that tonight, God's a prayer away. We want to pray with you. Or maybe you've run away from home. You're not right with God for whatever reason, whatever the reason. And you just want to come home. God's waiting for you to come home. He wants you to come home. He'll forgive you if you ask him. He'll receive you with joy. With joy. So if either one of those are you, it's your first time or your next time, whether online or in this room, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Online, I'm going to ask you to send us a message. I'm praying for the first time or I'm praying for the next time. In this room, I'm going to ask you on the count of three just to lift your hand and say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God before I leave here. And then after that, we're going to pray right where we're seated. Right where you're at at your home or wherever you're watching this. Here we go. Send the message now online in this room. One, two, three. You want to pray and get right with God before you leave here. Just raise your hand up high and then put it down. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else, just put your hand up high and say, it's me. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. There's a hand over here. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. I see that hand. Thank you, all those hands in the back. Thank you. Anybody else? That's awesome. That's incredible.
It's incredible. Don't bow down to this culture. Bow down to the living God. Anybody else? Man, you've, I, I just have a sense. Some of you have bowed down to this culture. You're living this, this party life. You think it's all cool. You think it's all, it ends ugly. It ends badly. Matter of fact, uh, there's some of you on the inside, mentally and spiritually, you know it's, it's dead. You know it's no good. It doesn't make you any happier. It doesn't make your life any better. Matter of fact, your life can, continually gets worse. Uh, there's people in this room. There's, there's more than one. I'm speaking to more than one person. You're partying away. You're smoking dope. You're doing all that stuff. And it's, it's making your life worse, not better. God wants to set you free from that, from that spirit of addiction and depression. He wants to give you a life worth having and worth giving away. He wants to give you an identity and a purpose. But you have to choose it. So uh, if you haven't raised your hand and I'm speaking to you and you want to get right with God and do it his way, he'll lead you to a life. He'll give you life, an abundant life, and this life and the next. But you have to choose to submit your life to him. If that's you and you want to raise your hand and you didn't raise it, raise your hand right now. Say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God. Anybody in this room? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I see that hand. Let's pray with all these that raise their hand and all these online. Let's all pray together. If you raise your hand, just be sincere with God. Say this. Say, God, I believe you are God and God alone. You spoke your word and created everything. I believe that. I believe that when we all fell to sin through Adam, you sent Jesus to take our place, to pay our price, to die for our sins. I believe that. I believe you raised him from the dead too. And because I believe all that, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. And I say to you, Jesus, my life is not my own anymore. It belongs to you. You are the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of my life. And I receive your Holy Spirit that changes my very nature and teaches me through your word how to live for you how to live life and life to the full for your purpose. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com dot com.